Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by Chris Lytle to talk about, of course, his professional fighting career, his experience uh, doing commentary and promotions for the B2 Fighting Series and the Bare Knuckle Fighting Championship, which is very popular right now. Also, of course, we dive into some of of, uh, our political feelings as of 2022, so very enjoyable episode for me today. Appreciate Chris coming on. If you're a fan of the Kelly Patrick show, I ask that you please send some referrals the way of my sponsors. The title sponsor of the show is Louisville Combat Academy located at 7908 Beulah Church Road, Louisville, Kentucky 40228. They have a great MMA program, but also even if you aren't planning on fighting in the cage, they have a great jujitsu program for adults, female friendly classes, and a great kids program also. Check out Louisville Combat Academy. Heidi Solars Coots. Heidi is a licensed clinical social worker and licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor, specializing in treating anxiety, depression, trauma, and addiction with a mindful and holistic approach. Heidi is actually my mother, and I can attest she is a saint. Call her at 502-457-1823. Virtual and telephonic appointments are available anywhere in the United States. Veercast Digital Media. Veercast Digital Media at veercast.com. Matt McCarthy runs Veercast, and he is also the producer for The Kelly Patrick Show. They do video production, aerial drone photography, web design, and podcast production. Contact them at info at veercast.com to start your own video show or podcast. Also, my health insurance practice, Benefits Analysis Corporation. Based in Troy, Ohio, I work from my Louisville, Kentucky office. I can help anyone in the United States with their health insurance needs. I'm an independent broker for health insurance solutions for individuals, families, Medicare eligible individuals, and also groups. I can also write life insurance, and long-term care. If you want to support the podcast, please send me some referrals. 502-386-0978. We are going to head to the Louisville Combat Academy Roadcaster line, where I am joined by the legendary Chris Lytle. Chris, how are you today? Man, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Kelly. Long time no see, Bob. It has been a while. I was very fortunate. I got to work, I don't know how many shows, but quite a few uh, shows for the B2 Fighting Series, doing commentary alongside you, Chris. And it was a highlight, one of the highlights of my, you know, <laughs> broadcasting or uh, podcasting commentary career. So great to see you. Thank you. Um, if it's all right, Chris, could you give our, our listeners a little bit of an update? What have you been up to uh, recently? I know you work a lot with the, <sighs> the bare knuckle uh, fighting, uh, but what have you been up to? I know you have the Lights Out podcast, which is very uh, active. What have you been up yep. to lately, Chris? Something's wrong with me. I can't stop taking on new projects. Um, I came out with the bourbon too, lights out bourbon. Um, you were really just selling that in Indiana right now because trying to, we've had trouble keeping up with demand. So we're trying to get it in other places. But I'm like, man, I can't, I'm not even all the way through Indiana. And so I'm supposed to do one. I'll have to get a hold of you when I do. It's supposed to be down there by like the Floyd central area, just, just North of Louisville. So I'll let you know when that happens. Certainly. We're supposed to do a signing there, but been doing a lot of signings in different places. And uh, 
man, that's that's fun. But I mean, really, bare knuckles been taking most of my my free time. I know we had fights in London a couple of weeks ago. We had them in Albuquerque this past weekend. I'm in Tampa this weekend, then Montana the weekend after that. So it's like four weekends in a row. It's like, man, I gotta I gotta find some other time. I got a lot going on. You know, I got you know the bourbon. I got that. I'm still in the fire department. It's just uh. Uh, I'm running all over the place. Yeah, you, you've led a, a very fascinating life. Of course, um, you're most well known for your career as a professional MMA fighter. Um, sure. Uh, of course, you started out in Indiana as a high school wrestler, and then you really dove in um, entirely to professional boxing and professional mixed martial arts as soon as possible there after high school. That's an accurate description, right? Um, yeah, well, I took a few years off with the college at the Indiana University. And as soon as I got done with that, you know, that was like, you know, I, I graduated in like December 97 by like January 98. I started fighting. Okay. Training. okay. Training. So of course the wrestling and then you threw in the boxing quickly thereafter yep. and, and had the, yep. uh, the, I guess what we would say is a, a legendary, uh, MMA career through many promotions. Most, most popular, of course, uh, your time with the UFC. Yeah. The funny thing is people don't realize back early, back in like, you know, late to early two thousands, you know, even if you fought in the UFC, it was like you fought other places too. Mm. Even they didn't have people in the contract. They only put on five or six fights a year. So, People need to be more active. So if you were in the UFC, you were still fighting different promotions. You know, I'd still go over to Japan fighting Pancrase. I'd fight in, uh, you know, just throughout the Midwest, sometimes out in California, wherever they'd have a fight. Sometimes they'd fly me out there and I'd fight. You know, WEC was a big one, but everybody fought in different organizations. There was no just UFC because you wouldn't be active enough, man. With five fights a year, unless they put you on every card, it was, it was just, uh, it is what it is. And then according to Wikipedia, your professional boxing career, you went 13 and one. Is that about accurate? 13, one and one. 13. Okay. I do see the draw there. That was your, yeah. looks like that was your first fight actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in hindsight, so it looks like your, your professional boxing career went from 2002 through 2005. In hindsight, what kind of memories do you have about specifically your time in pro boxing? How was the pay? What's the difference between that versus MMA? It, do you look back on it, on, on those, uh, that time fondly? Oh, I love my, my boxing time. And uh, pay was garbage, though. You know what I mean? People, nobody understands this. They always say boxers make all the money. Yeah, the, t- the, the top you know, 0. 0.5, 0.1%, you know, maybe we'll say 1%. The top 1% of the boxers make all the money. You can have a fight where Floyd Mayweather's making $30 million, and there's guys on that card making 1000 You know what I mean? So the UFC has a different structure where it's set up where everybody gets more. And, I mean, it's hard to become a, a big-time boxer. I mean, most boxers I know of, they might, even if they're good, they'll fight a bunch of bums, get a decent record, and they'll have one good payday $20,000. I mean, that's just, a, it's a weird setup. Every fight is like a fire. So like it's whoever puts on the promoter, even if it's a big Floyd fight, it's like make as much money as you can right now. Don't worry about anything else. That's all they worry about is making that for that one fight. That's what the UFC is different. So everybody thinks money is greater in boxing. It's not. Um, I just did it because I liked it. You know, I, I really started doing it to get, to get better at MMA. I wanted my hands to be much better. And then I started saying, you know, I like this a lot. And at one point I didn't know what I was going to stick with them. I actually went out. You remember that there was a show called The Contender, and it had Sylvester Stallone and, and Sugar Ray Leonard. 
I loved the first season, and I was like, man, this is great. And um, they did the 160-pound weight class. So they had they were saying they were going to do a season two. My trainer, Keith Palmer, got me um, to skip the line, just go right into an interview. And and they loved me, man. They loved me being on the UFC. They loved all this. I was a firefighter. They loved everything, you know, and I had a good boxing record. So they told me, like, man, you know, we're trying to decide between two weight classes. If we do 168, you're, you're, you're our guy. Um, it was in between 168 and 147. Well, they went with 147, so it was like I, I couldn't make it. I didn't even th- think about it. So, um, And then not too long after that, you know, Dana White and them got a hold of me to be on you know, the, the Ultimate Fighter 4, the comeback. And um, so I had to sign a contract there that said I could no longer box. So that kind of put an abrupt end to my boxing career. But, um, you know, I, 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 I learned a lot about myself and boxing, and it was a great sport. The problem with it is, I, looking back, I'm very glad it happened the way it did because I know me and my style and from fighting, and I'd have probably had some traumatic brain injury or some problems if I would have kept fighting boxing a lot. It's just different. And the fighters I like, the fighters who put on the good fights, entertaining fights, you know, their life doesn't turn out well. I mean, they have – I mean, I'm, I've seen a lot of them. You just talk to them like, man, something that, that guy's not right. You know, he's he's got problems. And I'm sure that would have been me. But going, you know, MMA and even bare knuckle, totally different. You know, I mean, especially bare knuckle, you don't get hit the same way. In that. You touched on a very uh, interesting topic there. Um, and, and I want to jump into more about the bare knuckle, your personal experience fighting and then also how it's been going recently before we get into that do you currently follow professional boxing at all sure yeah i mean i still like watching it um sometimes some some of the my big problem with boxing is a lot of times you get guys who get up there and it's all about the money and they they don't care how entertaining the fight is it's all about win or loss that's it that's how you make more money and so they'll they'll put on like i'm not a floyd fan i mean he's he's excellent He's a great defensive fighter, but, I mean, I, I want to see people. I want to see Arturo Gatti, Mickey Ward, not Floyd Mayweather versus who, because he's never had a fun fight to put on. There's nobody really to compare it to. I mean, I can appreciate the skill. I really can. But, I mean, I wanted to see people fight, you know, come to fight. Um, I don't know. I remember when I felt like when he fought Manny Pacquiao, everybody said, it's going to be the fight of the century. And everybody watched, and everybody I knew who wasn't a, who was a casual fan, like, this is a fight of the century? This is horrible. Yeah. You don't, he doesn't care. Floyd did not get, he, I say that was the only thing Floyd ever knocked out was the, the sport of boxing in that fight because nobody wanted to watch that. Like, I'm not going to go, this is the biggest fight. This isn't that entertaining. Um, I guess there's one trilogy that will uh, come up soon. September 17th, we will see the third fight between Gannady Golovkin and Canelo Alvarez. Do you have any interest in that type of a matchup? Man, you know, Triple G, for a long time, I just love watching that guy fight. But to me, he's one of the guys I'm talking about who's mm. probably going to have problems here at some oh, point. I okay. think he's slow. I don't know if he just took a lot. He's been so active. People don't, I mean, you know, that part of the, the world where he's from, so active in boxing, boxing forever. I just feel like he's lost a step. I don't think he's quite where he used to be. I mean, for a while, that guy, if he touched you, it was it. But he just slowed down enough. I'll probably I don't know I'll probably watch it, but uh, it's not the it's not the fighter that he was in my opinion you know four years ago. So I'll probably watch it, but um, I, I just hate seeing. It reminds me when you know when when Chuck fought Tito three. Mm. 
it's not going to be that bad, but it's not the fighter that he was. You know what I mean? So I'm like, man, why? Please stop. You know, hopefully you've made enough money, you've invested it well, but I hope it's not for money. But it, most of the time, it's not. Fighters fight. That's what they do. They they when they get done with their career, they don't know what to do. You know, it's like I've been doing this for the past thirty years or twenty years or whatever. It's like that. that I wake up, I have a goal. This is what I have to do on this date. You know, I set up my life around that. What do I do now? You just kind of lost, aimlessly wandering around, I feel. That's why it's important for me to have a fighter. They have to have an exit strategy. What are you going to do next? You know, are you going to open a gym? Are you going to be a trainer? Are you going to be a commentator? I mean, you have to have something you're planning on or you're going to struggle and you're going to keep fighting and you're going to get hurt. Okay, Chris, earlier you mentioned when it comes to bare knuckle uh, boxing that the head trauma is actually, and this is almost counterintuitive to many people, uh, you, you referred to the head trauma as being more minimal or less with bare knuckle boxing than actual boxing. So before we dive into your specific experience, could you do a summary of what you mean by that, please? 100% accurate. And even I, I realized this, I mean, I was just like everybody else. When I first, I remember how I got involved with bare knuckles. I saw on Facebook, like Joe Riggs does bare knuckle fight in London. I said, what the, what is wrong with Joe? Why would he do that? You know, so I click on it and I started expecting to see these guys in a warehouse with some bales of hay, or a bunch of cars lined up and then just throwing punches. But I, I look at it and it's a boxing ring with a referee and, you know, it's very technical, like not as many punches were landed as I thought. Cause and I started thinking about it. It's like, yeah, if you, if you punch wildly, you break your hand. You know, if you go in there too quickly, you, you know, you, you're going to get punched and cut open. And if you throw a punch as hard as you can, you're going to hurt your hand. So it was more measured, more technical. And that watching that made me think, man, I got to I got to try this. You know, so I found out who it was in London and got a hold of them. And they brought me out for a fight. This was before it was legal in the state. Came back and tried to get it legalized here. They said, no, it's all right. Then it became legal in Wyoming. And, you know, I've, I've been with them ever since now. The reason I, I was able to come back, I had to talk, like I'd been retired from the UFC for six years. I talked to the wife and she wasn't for it, obviously. But then I, I explained, like, look, it's not the same. Like, I have to change my whole boxing style. I'm an inside fighter with boxing. That's why I was always saying I would have had problems. You can't be an inside fighter like that with bare knuckle unless you're just extremely fast or slick or with great head movement um, because you're going to get hit. So I had to work on being outside, closing that distance, and then getting back out without getting hit. So when you're doing that, sparring and everything, it changes. You don't, I mean, I'm good with big gloves. I can block. I can do a lot of these things. And you still take punches with those. But that big glove disseminates a whole, the whole blow. And you can take more of them. A little with fist, boom, you're cut, fights over, or you're hit and you're hurt. Your brain is going to hit the skull every time with one of those boxing punches. So you can get hit 20, 30 times around and still keep fighting. It's not doing knockout work, but it's still doing little things. Very similar to an NFL lineman. They always talk about every time they're, they hit heads, little tiny car accidents going on there. Same thing when you're getting hit with the. With we, did, we did freeze up. Are you there, Chris? Just a moment. Um, um, the main thing is I think. Okay, I, I, we froze up for just a moment. I'll edit that part out. It's not live. So okay. you, you said okay. the main thing is that you, you said, and if you want to repeat this and continue, you said yeah. the football players when they're smashing okay. into each other. So kind of pick up from okay. there if that's all right. Okay, sure. Very similar to when like an NFL lineman, they always talk about those guys, their heads hit. And when they hit, every time it's like a little car accident going on. And so there's a lot of damage being done there. Same thing with the box gloves. It hits that skull 
damage is being done with bare knuckle, not the same because you can't take that many punches. You will get cut. So you have to be slicker. You have to be, it's like boxing on steroids. You have to be really slick. You have to hit and not get hit. You have to really work on the technical pick. Mm. And, and if not, you're not going to fly. I can do that. I'm not going to go there and get brain injuries. I mean, I, I've been past that micro. People, like I said, I, I thought the same thing, everybody, until you, you're not taking nearly as many headshots. You're not throwing as hard. The brain is not hitting the skull as many times. And that's all that matters. You know, that to me, that's what matters. And I don't care if I, I mean, you're going to get cut more. I mean, I, I'll take superficial wounds in order to keep my brain. So I'm trying to get people to understand the fight, like doctors, everybody that. Everybody, it sounds brutal, and I, I agree. I thought the same thing, and then you look at it, you think about it, you study it. It's not nearly as bad for the brain. That's what I care about. I don't want to see any more of these fighters who I like talking funny. Okay. Um, so what has been – I know I saw John Dodson fought recently. What's going Ooh. on right now? What's the hot story within the world of bare-knuckle boxing? I mean, the hot story to me is you got people like John Dodson. He fought Ryan um, – Benoit, who was his last nine fights in the UFC. They had 27 fights or 26 fights in the UFC combined. Um, we got Ben uh, Rothwell signed. You know, we, I mean, we're just continuing to uh, Chad Mendez. We just keep getting high-level UFC fighters. And here's one other reason I think people are coming over. Man, training for a, a UFC fight or any kind of MMA fight is taxing on the body. Not just the head, but the arms, the back, the shoulders, the grappling especially when you start doing it for 15 years. So I'm thinking you get a lot of these guys now who are going, you know what? I don't want to grapple. I don't want to come in here and wrestle. And you have to come in there and all you have to do is hit the bag, jump rope, and maybe spar a little bit, and you're done. It's like that's a third of my practice. You know, it's so much easier on your body. Not saying the sport's easier, but it's easier on your body. You can be – you can you can re- you feel rejuvenated coming in if you've, after you've been fighting for 10, 15 years in MMA. It makes your body feel better. You're like, man, this is I, I enjoy this. This is the part I like. You know, I don't want to half the fighters don't want to worry about takedowns. So a lot of them do, but some of them don't. So I think it's just re, re, it, it rejuvenates a lot of fighters to be able to come over and do bare knuckles. So that's to me the cool thing. We're getting a lot of high level fighters come over. And you fought three times bare knuckle. Is that right? Yes. Three and zero. Oh, the last time you you fought was 2019. So based on my math, that was shortly before, and you and I were actually interacting quite a bit at that time with the commentary. But that was shortly before Corona shut everything down. So um, if I'm reading between the lines here, it looks like maybe you would have had more fights had it not been for Corona. Is that accurate or no? Um, possibly. What really happened though? I remember getting ready for my last fight. You know, I'd had a lot of wrist problems, and uh, that had been from years. I hadn't been able to do push-ups, not on my knuckles, in like 10 years. So, leading up to that fight, I remember I was like, man, I got to get a shot of cortisone in my wrist. I can't – I just can't punch anymore. So, I did that, you know, about two months out, and then about two weeks before my fight, I remember I went to my doctor. I was like, I need another one. He's like, man, it's your third It's your third one, man. I, I'm not going to keep doing this. And I was like, man, I, I have to have it. You know, have a funny. He was like, okay, we'll do one more shot, but then we're having surgery afterwards because I can't keep giving you cortisone. I was like, all right. So I had, had the, you know, I got cortisone. I had the fight, and I was like, okay, I'll have surgery. And then uh, I was hoping, you know, I think, I, what was I, 45 at the time or something? I was like, I'm hoping to be able to just have another fight. But, you know, really my wrist never kind of got back as quick as I thought. And then 
coronavirus came and we were shut down. I was like, man, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know if I want to do this. I remember I, I, I tried to come back at one point to the gym <laughs> and I was wanting to do a fight. My guy, Pat McPherson, you know, my coach, he's like, man, you're not doing this anymore. I was like, man, I think, you know, I can still do it. He's like, give me, give me a couple hard days at the gym. I, I came in the first day, felt great, man. I was killing it. I was, oh, man, this is easy. Next day I got up, I was like, oh, you know, my back. Everything was sore. I, I went to the gym that day. It was average. And then uh, the third day I was like, yeah, I'm not. I'm not I mean, to me, the only way I know how to train is hard for six days a week for six weeks and go out. I wouldn't be able to get that done. I would have still fought, but I would have not been prepared like I wanted. So I was like, man, I'm not doing it. I, I'd rather – I'd rather not disrespect myself for the sport. I'm just going to, and I was already doing the commentary. I was going to have to miss commentating. So I just, I just said, forget it. This is a spontaneous question. Sounds like you take your training camp serious six days a week for six weeks. I mean, you, you, I, I can tell that was at the top of your head. That's something you've known for a long time. Have you ever went in, stepped into the cage or the boxing match under prepared? Looking back now, I mean, this, I mean, I've, I'm always in shape. That's the main thing. Like I never take time off the gym. I'm in there every every week, no matter what. So, like if some people they have to have like a ten week camp, the first four weeks get in shape. I'm already in shape. I just have to find two things for six weeks. And I know if I do it for eight weeks, I overtrain. I, like they had to hold me back. But no, we're not starting the training camp yet because if you're already in shape and you trade hard for eight weeks, my body I start getting hurt. So I knew six weeks was was a sweet spot for me. Um, but I remember my only boxing match that I lost. I was so stupid back, you know, early. I thought I could knock everybody out, you know, no matter what. So I had a, I had a, had a boxing match, and then I think two weeks later I had an MMA match, and two weeks later I had another boxing match. I win the first two fights, and then I come in and met that third boxing match, and this guy was really up to beat me. I was undefeated at the time, and um, I was just flat, you know. Like I, I watched a replay. My hands are up here first round, next round they're down here. Third round, they're down. They just kept getting lower. I mean, we beat the brakes off each other, but I just didn't have it because that's when I realized, like, look, man, you're not going to knock everybody out. Some people are tough, and you have to peak at your, at your camp. You know, you keep camp. That's why six-week camp. Why? Because I peak at the end, and then you go down, and then you peak. So just can, you, if you can't, like, at three fights in, in a month, you're not going to peak every time. Your body just can't do it, you know. So that's where I learned. It wasn't that I didn't train hard. It wasn't that I wasn't in shape. It was just you, you, you got you to train the right way and set up yourself for success. And I didn't do that. So that was a eye-opening event for me to be like, okay, take fights when you, you know, have a legitimate camp and, and make sure you're peaking at the right time and don't overtrain and don't undertrain. Okay. Um, over the past few years, I have personally become – much more politically conscious or, I don't know, radicalized, whatever you want to say. <laughs> some people may tune out th for this part of the episode. I get it. Right. Um, but based on what I know about you, Chris, you don't shy away from talking about anything. You're very politically, um, you feel it's strong, uh, uh, very important to not shy away from politics. I assume, I mean, that's nothing new to you. What's your background with politics? If you could describe to the listeners of the Kelly Patrick show, did Chris sure. Lytle grow up being a conservative and you've always felt very passionate about politics? What has your evolution been politically? I've always been a fiscal conservative. That's the main thing to me is, you know, I don't like government waste. I don't like it when you hear all these things and read about the the money that they're spending. I'm like, that's taxpayers' dollars. It just pisses me off. 
Um, what really got to me, I believe, was right around 2008, you know, the financial crisis. I started looking into what caused it, what happened. And I realized a lot of these problems are all government intervention. You know, when the government does certain things, they do it for political reasons. I can buy more votes if I do this. People will vote for us. This will keep our party in power. It doesn't matter if it's good or bad for people. Um, you know, for example, everybody talks about them, you know, the government got involved with student loans. Um, before that, school was way more affordable. Mm. If people, they went in there and they, they'd say, how many people could go to school without some kind of government financial aid? 75% of the people need government loans. Well, that's a problem because as they give people money, the, the schools know we can charge whatever we want now. So their prices go up. If they couldn't, if they couldn't, government wouldn't give out loans and they lost 75% of their, their clients, they'd be like, oh, great, we got to lower these prices. People can afford it. But government intervention, they go in there trying to buy the, the young person boat. What does that do? That saddles these kids with $100,000 worth of debt. Politicians don't care. I mean, they're, they're just, they bought their votes. But it's bad for everybody. It's bad for the kids. It's, I mean, it's great for the schools, I guess, and, and, and the politicians because they just bought the vote. But it's not good for society for what they did. So I feel government does a, a lot of that type of thing, and it's bothersome. So um, with the housing crisis, I saw uh, they helped cause that by keeping interest rates too low, um, by you know pushing the Fed into that because Fed can say whatever it wants. It does whatever the, the party who's in power right there does exactly what they want. Um, and so they, they kept their interest rates low. It caused lots of problems. Um, it caused a housing bubble. And what did the government do? They came in and they printed up a bunch of money and gave it out. They said we they didn't solve any problems. And to me, it's like if you if you if you have cut your finger and it gets infected, I mean, all we did was cover it up like there, problem solved. We're supposed to put medicine on it. We don't want to take medicine, bad tasted medicine. So we just let it go. Um, and now we've papered over it. Now, I mean, we just keep doing that. Every time there's a thing, we do QE, add more money to the debt. Um you know, back then it was about five trillion. Now we're over thirty. I mean, it's going to collapse. It's something you can't keep this up. Uh, and government doesn't care. They just keep doing that. So I am extremely fiscally conservative. Uh, I'm definitely became more libertarian now because the Republicans are fiscally conservative. They say they are, but I mean, when Trump was in there, they they raised just about as much as the Democrats do when it comes to the national debt. They like to talk a big game. Nobody wants to do the one thing, and that's shrink the size of government. That's the only thing you can do to stop this growth, the, the way we spend money. That's it. And nobody's even talking about it. Nobody's even thinking about it. Both sides want to grow government bigger and bigger and bigger, take away more liberties, and just cost more money. So the only people who even talk about shrinking the size of government are libertarian-minded people. So that's kind of more what I am because it's going to collapse if we don't, and, and people don't understand, like, I don't know if it'll collapse is the right word, but there, there's they, they, they don't like the inflation. Wait till we get you know, 20% inflation. Wait till it gets worse. What if the dollar loses the reserve currency because of what's going on? And then I don't think people understand the, the, the ramifications that are could clearly happen here very soon because of our our government policies. Yeah, it's difficult to really say exactly what that'll look like, but we are fortunate. We live in the United States. I was born in or in Ohio, okay? So this is all I know. We control the world currency for the most part. The United States does. We're lucky to have been born here. What if that yeah. goes away? What if, what if one day we look up and, you know, we all owe all this money mostly to China. I think number two is Japan. Um, we just keep running up this debt more and more and more. Uh, I, I won't claim that I know exactly, you know, 
what will happen. Um, but I mean, the inflation is rampant already. Uh, we keep printing up more and more, even more and more, uh, um, you know, money and issuing more of these T bills and getting into more and more debt. It cannot head into a good direction. It's a difficult topic. Not, it's not sexy. Most people don't like talking about this politically. This is not the sexiest topic. If I wanted to have a podcast where we talked about what was going to get us the best ratings. I think, I think I would say, hey, let's talk about student loan forgiveness and how much it's helping people and that type of stuff. You you mentioned student loans. You didn't really even touch on the most recent news when it comes to student loans in our country, and that's the, the student loan forgiveness. What are your thoughts on uh, the ten or even $20,000 of student loan forgiveness? Don't you like to help people? I assume you're a big fan of that, right? First of all, totally unconstitutional. I mean, it doesn't go through Congress. The president doesn't have the right to executive orders to forgive this money. And here's the thing. That's totally inflationary. I mean, that money right there, where is it coming from? Government's going to have to pay for it. Where they get that money? They have to print it up. We don't have any money. I mean, we can't even we, – we spend a couple trillion more every year. That You cannot do this. And, and moral it's, – it's, it's, it's not morally right either to me. I mean, how about the people who paid back for student loans? Are they going to get a check now for what they didn't pay? You're encouraging bad behavior, and that's one thing I've learned. Every time you encourage bad behavior, you get way worse behavior. So us encouraging some problems, you know, for people who to continue to just borrow money, not have to pay it all back, that's a problem to me. Not only that, if you really look into it, there's a lot. It's not just ten thousand here and twenty thousand there. Basically, what they would say is, you know, you you only have to pay a certain amount of money for ten years, and then the rest is going to be forgiven. Um, and, and you'll have to pay back a percentage. Let's say you make less than, you know, let's say you make fifty thousand a year. I mean, you, if you borrow, if you borrowed fifty thousand dollars and you make fifty thousand dollars a year, you only have to pay back nine thousand dollars. Where's the rest of that money come from? And that's not right. What about the people who are paying? I have kids. Oh, you know, it's gonna help one of my daughters. She, she has. I told her to quit paying. Don't don't pay on her. On her. you know, when she's graduating here, I said, man, make sure get your your money. You know, because she has some student loans, but, you know, I know my son, he paid off all his student loans. Well, that's not fair to him. What People are being responsible. You're punishing the people who aren't you rewarding. Every time you do that, it leaves a big problem. So I, the people should not be borrowing money if they can't. I mean, I know a lot of people just went got a bunch of student loans and, just, you know, didn't even use them properly and Pell Grants and all this. And then they just, eh, you know, got debt forgiveness. That's not right to me, man. We, it's, a, it's a moral hazard that we're doing could be more against the government has no money. We shouldn't be paying anybody's debt. You got to every, we have to have accountability and we're getting away from that. Uh, some of the justification I have heard for student loan forgiveness has been, Hey, relax, Kelly. We're spending all this money helping Ukraine. We're spending all this money overseas on this and that the student loan forgiveness is just a, a uh, a, a small fraction of that amount of money that we're sending overseas. How would you respond to that, Chris? I'd say, you know, in a way you're right. However, I'm not, I'm not for us sending money overseas either. We don't have money. for this. Here's the thing. We're borrowing money from China or printing it up and then give it to other countries. Let them borrow it from China. I don't understand why we're borrowing money and give it to anybody. We don't have money. We are dead broke. You know what I mean? We're less than broke. I mean, broke is if you have zero, we have debt. I mean, we have all the stuff we have to pay back, and we're never, ever going to pay. So this is going to be our downfall. Mark my words, this will destroy our economy, which is going to destroy the, the whole fabric of society. People don't understand. They've never been through tough times. Once this hits, they're going to be like, oh, my God, why this happened? They're going to they're gonna start blaming Republicans and Democrats. are going to blame each other. It's, like, it's very simple. It's both these people just wanting to 
you know, government to them is just a big ATM they can just go to at all times and get whatever they want out of it. That's not the case. You can't do that in your house. You can't do it in the government. You get by with it for a while because we're the reserve currency, like we talked about. Not the case. I mean, we shouldn't be giving any of these countries any money that we can't. I mean, until we, it'd be like if I can't afford to pay my my house payment, I'm letting people borrow money for me. Why would I do that? I can't pay my bills. Why am I borrowing money from giving other people money? If I can take care of my own backyard and have extra money, absolutely, we can help people out. We don't have that. We don't have that luxury right now. So. I'm not real sure why people think that's a good idea. It's, it's almost like if you ever seen the movie Brewster's Millions, I don't remember th- that movie. No, no, I have not. Old movie. A lot of people will make get this reference. Richard Pryor's in it, so he he has a, a old uncle he never met, and the guy's a billionaire, and he's like, "Look, you you know, I'm going to teach you a lesson. I'm going to give you some money, but I don't want you to go waste it." So he's like, um, if you, I'm going to give you $30 million and you have to spend it all in one month, but you can't have anything to show for it. If you do that, you get $300 million. So basically he's out just blowing money stupidly, trying to spend as much as he can. That's what our government feels like it's doing to me. It's like they're trying to give away as much money. They're trying to be as stupid as humanly possible. The inflection, what was this, uh, the Inflation Reduction Act, that's just, a, it does the opposite. It has nothing to do with it, doing, getting rid of inflation. You print up a couple hundred billion dollars and that's supposed to get rid of inflation. That is what inflation is. It's just a name that people didn't want to vote against, but it does nothing to get rid of inflation. It adds to inflation. It's like, like I said, it's like Brewster's Millions are trying to bankrupt the country, I think. I don't get it. Um, when it comes to the Senate or Congress, I guess let's say the Senate, there's maybe maybe Rand Paul, Senator Mike Lee from Utah. Um, there's maybe like two or three truly fiscally conservative senators out there. Not, not many, yeah. even within the Republican Party. You have a history. You, you uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Chris. You actually ran for Indiana State Senate back in 2012. Um, what's your summary of how that campaign went? What was your experience like running for office? I assume you were very fiscally conservative during your campaign. That was a big emphasis for you. Do you have a future in politics? And I know this, I'm throwing a lot at you, no. uh, but what's the answer going forward um, to try to uh, support our country in a positive way? I mean, I had a very eye-opening experience with that um, because I learned a couple of things. They don't want people in there who are going to try and help. They, that has nothing to do with anything. Great ideas doesn't matter. They want yes men. That's all they want. So they want people who are going to go in there and do what they're told and play the game, you know. And, uh, yeah, they did not like me at all because they, they said I didn't wait my turn. I didn't get lied. I didn't prove that I was going to be a good yes man. And I'm like, yeah, that's not what I'm here for. You know, I'm here to try and, you know, put us in the right direction. And they don't care about that. They couldn't care less. So I have, I have zero desire at this point to get involved with politics because unless you're going to play the game and, you know, prove that you're going to be yes, man. They're not going to support you. And if they don't support you, I mean, look, just you've seen what they've done to other people who, who they don't support. I mean, they'll attack you in any way, you know, they don't care if they have to send people to prison. It's just, it's, it's a nasty business or, you know, defame your character. Um, as long as they, they keep their, they're very good at staying in power. Um, only thing that I can think of, we have to, here's a problem. You've got to get people off this Coke versus Pepsi thing. You got Republican versus Democrat. And, and it blows my mind. I'm like, you cannot possibly believe one of these parties is going to help you out. You cannot believe that this time is going to be different. Every time the Republicans are in power, we're going to do this. Do they do it? No. I mean, how, how much debt do we add last time when Trump was in there? Well, four years, about $8 trillion. 
how many are going to add this time with Biden's and they're about the same. It's like you, it's never going to change. I mean, you can say whatever. Oh, we have to do it because of this. Oh, we, there's an emergency. Oh, there's always going to be an emergency. You have to, at some point, you have to rip the Band-Aid off and say, somebody, you have to deal with some tough love. You're going to have to deal with these problems yourself. We cannot continue to add to the debt from, because there's a problem. We are encouraging people with bad behavior. And so we have to start encouraging people. You need to save your money. You need to be ready for a disaster. Don't look to the government for a handout until we do something like that. So until we start voting for a third party, hopefully libertarian, I don't see there's any way. And it's not going to happen. So I really honestly feel the only thing that's going to happen and there's going to have to be some kind of a collapse. So I don't know if it's going to be a collapse necessarily, I would say, or some kind of crisis. You know, maybe if we lose our reserve currency for, for the dollar and all of a sudden people like, who knows what kind of economic Armageddon we're going to have. Uh, hopefully the, that we can recover at some point. People can be like, look back and go, why did this happen? Oh, because we continued to spend all this money the way both parties wanted to. And hopefully a third party then could step up and be like, well, I mean, libertarian party is, I don't care how you live your life. So they can take, you know, the good part from the Democrat side. Like, you know, that's up to you to live whatever you want. I'm not going to get in your way. You're not affecting me. I'm not going to affect you. However, we can take, well, there isn't anything from the Republicans. I would say they're conservative, but they just say to be conservative. Take the fiscal conservative side that they used to be. Take the you know the freedom to do whatever you want from the Democrat side, and people would see that as a, a viable, really uh, the the best party there is because that's the way I see it. I voted in 2016 for Trump. He was talking about draining the swamp and making government smaller, and he called out. A lot of people. I'll be honest. I, I bought hook, line, and sinker what Trump was selling in 2016. But as his, his um, four years in office came to an end, I was looking at the numbers, much like what you're saying, and I was like, okay, yeah, he wasn't politically correct. I like that. He was funny. <laughs> he was funny, in my opinion. I'll admit. I thought I, I, I went in. He was yeah. funny. Okay. I, I, I'll admit. I was in on that. But, but substantively... He put us, as you said, into more debt than even Obama did in eight years. Trump put us into more debt. Even before Corona, Trump was on uh, uh, pace to shatter the debt records, okay? So in 2020, I voted for the libertarian candidate, Joe Jorgensen. She's not perfect. You know, I, I don't know, to be honest, if is democracy even a, you know, I don't even know what the hell the option is. Um, but yeah. you mentioned the Libertarian Party a couple times. I, as of right now, plan on probably voting for, I guess, this guy, Dave Smith, is a comedian in 2024, Libertarian, probably the Libertarian candidate. Um, how do you vote? And is there any reason to be optimistic in your opinion for any type of a third party impact? Um, I typically vote Libertarian myself. Um, you know, uh, <sighs> I was very excited last year. We had, uh, or a couple of years ago, we had uh, Donald Rainwater running for governor in Indiana. And I, everywhere I saw Rainwater signs, I was like, man, this guy, he's not going to win, but he might, I'm hoping to get like 20%. I think he ended up with 11, which is very disappointing, but man, pretty good. You know, it shows there's a disdain for a lot of the other parties right now. The, and, am I optimistic? Not at all. People are just, I, I, people cannot, people don't like change. People are afraid to get out of their comfort zone and they, they, and they they watch Fox News or, or, or CNN and they, and they just totally buy it and feed on. Oh, my God. This, but they won't they won't critically think and look at the, the, the big picture. And be like, man, this is not going to work. I mean, this is they're set. I mean, those two parties love it. They do not want a third party. No, they don't care if it's a Republican or Democrat because they know they're going to go back and forth. They don't care. 
So um, I, I don't think anything's ever going to change until there's some huge crisis, some negative stuff, the bitter tasting medicine that we've been avoiding. Something's going to have to happen. And they're not gonna, everybody's going to step back with this bewildered look. How does this happen? How do you not understand this is going to happen? I cannot understand for the life of me. You cannot understand. You can't spend more money than you bring in. Everybody knows with their personal life. We've been doing it as a country since 1971 or something. I don't know, since we became a creditor nation and went up the gold standards. I mean, we are the debtor, biggest debtor nation the world's ever seen. We used to be the biggest creditor nation the world's ever seen. That changed, and we've been living off our past glory. But that it, you can't do that forever. It never lasts indefinitely. So that's going to happen at some point, and, and, and people are going to be bewildered and dumbfounded. And, and I'm going to be like, how can you be so dumb to not see this coming eventually? I just – it does not make sense to me that people won't critically think, look at how things are and, and the direction we're going in, and they're going to be just flabbergasted when it happens. Um, wearing the liberty or flying the libertarian flag allows me to feel a little bit more or less, you know, on red team versus blue team, which is a good yeah. thing in a lot of ways. So, uh, uh, analyzing the landscape of the presidential race for 2024, um, if you had to guess who will be the Republican uh, nominee, who will be the Democratic, nom- what a crazy time to be alive, okay? Who will be the Republican? Yeah. Who will be the Democrat? Um, and if you want, even who will be their vice presidents? I mean, I have no idea what the hell is going to go on. Um, uh, who do you think will win? What are your thoughts on the 2024 presidential um, uh, election uh, now? Yeah. yeah. I mean, so hard to tell what it's going to depend on a lot of what happens in the next two years. Who's going to really win? I think I'm thinking DeSantis from uh, Florida is probably going to be the Republican because he makes the most sense to me. I mean, he's kind of Trump-esque in certain ways, except for he's way smarter as far as not, he's not going to anger as many of the soccer moms and, 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 you know, he's not going to anger so many people by putting mean tweets out there and the stupid stuff people cared about. He's not going to He's not going to make fun of people like that, and, he, and but but he's still like I loved it when they, they were COVID going on. He's like, yeah, we're not we're not doing what you say. We're going to do what we want. And Florida was their numbers were just as better than most of the people's, you know. So, and, and I loved that you had people like AOC and all these like almost mass Nazis and this people who who were who were coming to Florida to get away and not wearing masks and just having the time of their life. Oh, but in your area, we have to wear these things. I'm like, they're so hypocritical. It makes me want to get sick, but. So you have him who's just – he will actually, I think, try and do the right thing in many ways. Um, as far as a Democrat, I mean, your guess is as good as mine. I don't think anybody has any clue who would be in there. Maybe – I mean, I think they're may, trying to make a push for Pete Buttigieg. I don't think they're ready for that yet. But, I mean, yeah, it's not going to be Biden. He has no chance. And this guy's falling asleep. I mean, I, he's – it is embarrassing that he's even in there right now. Um I don't know who they would put up. Really, I, I can't see a viable candidate. I have no idea who they're gonna, what they're gonna do. I don't. I think they're scrambling right now. I think they have no idea. Um, I, I look to see. I mean, I know they're doing what they can right now to give away some money um, to try and not make it a landslide. Here come you know the election here in November, but I still think the Republicans are gonna take over. Uh, and and I think you know, especially from in here, and they're they're. That the guy from the FBI just kind of resigned over the fact that he totally was biased and didn't let them investigate um, Hunter Biden in his laptop and, you know, was very biased against that, even though there's lots of evidence that there's, you know, it shows that Joe Biden and him were 
doing a lot of illegal, immoral, unethical things. And um, but you know, if if the FBI leader doesn't let you investigate that, how are you supposed to win? You know, so uh, I think the Democrats are in huge trouble here, um, just based on the facts that they're trying to, or maybe through their action, they're they're really hurting the economy and just the whole country. Um, I think DeSantis will probably be good. I have no idea who the Democrats couldn't even guess who they put in right now. What are your thoughts on the FBI's raid of Trump's uh, house in Florida? Um, very interesting to me. I don't have all the information yet, so I'm not real sure exactly. I mean, we haven't know exactly how that played out or why, um, or if other people in the past, other presidents have done the same. Thing. I, I'm not really not real sure. Uh, I do. I feel like may, more than anything, you know, they don't want this. They never wanted. They don't want outsiders in. Like I talked about earlier, they didn't want me in there. I'm an outsider. They they never wanted him in there in any way. Um, they will do anything to keep people like him out. And so I think that's a lot of what this is about. It's like, hey man, go away. Um, we're gonna we're gonna bring you down if you ever try and get back in here. I think they want him to not run again. And to be honest with you, I think it'd be best for the party and everybody if he did not run again. I think DeSantis being there would be much better than Trump. I guess people living in the state of Florida, they could hear that DeSantis would run for president, maybe win, very likely win, arguably. And then who takes over in Florida? I mean, he DeSantis barely won a, a very closely contested race against a guy who... <laughs> you know, had like a meth, a meth problem, uh, for, for in that governor race for Florida. I don't know about a meth, meth problem. He was caught using meth multiple times, whatever. That's a problem. That's a problem. <laughs> I think we could say that's a problem. Um, yeah. so I guess the, the thing is then who would take over in Florida? Um, I don't, you know, I don't even know. I can't even begin to speculate, but it's difficult. Maybe, maybe Trump, maybe he could take over. Okay. He lives in Florida. Maybe. <laughs> would that be funny? Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's very fascinating to see because DeSantis, as you said earlier, if there's such thing as an MVP to come through Corona, if anyone deserves the MVP trophy, I know that sounds silly, but I guess yeah. you got to say it's DeSantis. Without a doubt, man. I mean, he he was who people like me were looking to for like, man, this is how things should. This is what every governor needs to be doing is exactly what he's doing right now. Too many people are afraid that we're about their political career. Oh, what is this going to do? You just got to do the right thing, man. And people are going to see that, but you cannot continue to try and appease all these different sides and be politically correct. Oh, what am I going to Some point, I mean, look at the, the country, Sweden, they did nothing. They shut down zero and their numbers were just like everybody else's. You cannot, but their economy is better because they didn't shut down everything. You cannot run a night from this thing, man. And I, I do not understand how, we're so afraid of everything. It's embarrassing to me. I mean, that's it's not the way it should, things should be, man. We're, we're, I don't look to the government from cradle to grave for help. I'm never going to, never will. And that's what they want. And that's what a lot of people do. Since the data has been coming out, since the, the lockdowns and the vaccines and all that fun stuff, um, there has been little drops of evidence and people admitting you know, the New York Times, for example, if you dive into it, a lot of people have admitted slowly, very painfully, the people who are flying the flag the most of the lockdowns and the masking and all that shit, they, they are slowly, painfully admitting that, yeah, guys like DeSantis were probably right 
all along. Have you seen uh, have you, the people you interact with on a daily basis? Have you seen people admitting that they were wrong when it comes to the the COVID lockdowns and things like that, or yeah. or, or no? Yeah, a lot of people. They didn't. I mean, yeah, even the people who are the biggest, you know, oh my god, you can't do this. They're like, well, yeah, looking back, but we just didn't know. And it's like, well, yeah, I, I felt like I did. You know, I felt like you guys were being ridiculous. You, you were just speculating on nothing, and, and you're you fell into the fear mongering. I mean, I just I, I can't understand that. You know, it's like no. I mean, here's what I don't like. You know, what do I try and do? Well, I try and work out every day. I try and take vitamins. I try and eat properly. You know, I try and do the important things to make sure my immune system's built up. I don't go in there and hide where my time so my immune system drops down. And then, I mean, I, yeah, why don't we do the hard work instead of just waiting for a government vaccine or not trust it in, in that in any way? Why would you? Um, or, or just hide off and like, dude, I never quit doing anything. I flew all the time. I never wore a mask. I never, unless I was in a place that made me, I, I did whatever. And, you know, I'm fine. I don't know. I, I try. I I did hard. I do hard work all the time to try and keep my immunity up instead of trying to hide and, and just do the easy stuff. I'm not going to take a pill and just hope for help. I, I'm going to try and do work day in day out to try and keep myself healthy. And if you're not doing that, well, then yeah, you you might die from from a sickness. You know, take care of yourself. Work harder. I don't know what to tell you, man. That's our problem. We don't want to work hard. We want the easy solution always. No delayed gratification. Just you know, help me out. Uh, immediately it's just it's pathetic man i mean we're not people still think we're the best country in the world i mean i go all over the place i think we're a very lazy entitled country and, and we think we're the best living on stuff our grandparents did so uh get around check out the world you know people who are people who are like pushing it i was like for sports who's doing great in, in like the tough sports boxing fighting people from mexico people from uzbekistan people from kazakhstan people where life is hard to live and you're going to come out there, you're going to be a hard individual who just chops wood and swims in the cold. I mean, you're just a hard individual. We're weak, man. We're pathetic, and we think we're the best. It's, 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 very, weak. it's very weird. I agree. I, I don't need to go too far with that, but I've heard people recently <laughs> complaining. My wife's from Cuba. She left Cuba in 2014 or escaped, whatever you want to call it. Escaped, yeah. yeah escaped Cuba. Um, I've heard people saying that we have a, a starvation problem in the United States. And that's something that I uh, really have a difficult time wrapping my head around. So does my wife. I get so mad. I see these signs like one out of six kids is hungry. I'm like, no, they're not. Maybe you, maybe they're asking kids, have you ever been hungry? Yeah. Oh, there's another one. I'm like, there's food everywhere here, man. We, how can you be obese and, and still doing uh, saying they're hungry? I mean, come on, man. That's a slap in the face to all these other countries that really have it tough. I mean, if you want to, you mean even our homeless people are, are big. I mean, they, 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 there's food everywhere. Nobody's not dealing with food. Shut up, people saying that. I think it's a money-making scam. I think it is. I don't know who gets that money when they send it to them, but something's not right about that. I've always thought there's some. I mean, there's always there's food everywhere. There's grocery stores. I mean, I remember my mom had a friend. He was from coming over from Nigeria and he said he couldn't believe when he first got here, the people weren't like shooting the squirrels that are running around. He's like, there, there's food, you know, it's like that. And he hates it. If people try to give people like poor people, people stand on the side with a sign. Don't give those people money. There's jobs everywhere. There's food everywhere. You can go to a grocery store. It's like Nigeria. There's no food. 
Your day, your daily job is to go find some food for the family to eat. That's it. It's not like that here. All you have to do is walk to the grocery store, drive to the grocery store. Like, we don't have a hunger problem. We have, I don't know, that, that's some kind of a scam, I promise you. There's no way. That's, there's no hungry people here like that. Um, when it comes to MMA fighters and a lot of times former fighters who are, um, I guess you could say, based or anti-woke, um, someone who comes to mind, I'm fortunate I'm going to interview next week is Jake Shields. Yes, yes. Uh, what is your experience? I know you, you're very familiar with Jake. What's your experience with Jake Shields? I know he's gotten a lot of attention recently. He speaks out online often about the, the progressive regime and all that stuff. But what's your experience with Jake Shields? And uh, met him before. Great guy, dude. Um, he, he just, he just uh, makes common sense, man. He's smart. He, I'm not sure how you can be around, especially in the fight industry. It's all about how hard you want to work. You're going to be good based on how your merit based on how hard you work. That's supposed to be life in general. He gets that. He understands that. And when people start making excuses and doing all these other things, like, you know, he, he understands that's not, you're not helping people by doing that. That's not reality. That's not how like the real world should be. And so he understands that and he speaks out about it. It's like, no, this is not, you're not helping people by, by the things you're doing. You're hurting them. You're hurting them in the long run and everybody like him. Why? Why are you guys doing this? I mean, and why are people buying into it? So he calls it like he sees it, and he's 100% accurate and right. And I, and I love the way he does things like that. You know, I just um, – it's sad to me that he – that's not the norm. That's the exception. That needs to be everybody. I just think fighters usually really get it because they know it's all about hard work. You know, nobody's going to give you anything. You know, you have to go out there and work as hard as you can. And when you do, you're going to be successful. That, there, no, there's no other thing about it. There's no shortcuts. You know, there's no easy path. Do the hard work, experience success. That's it. And, and he believes that, and he's done it his whole life. So why would you think anything else politically? You know, oh, no, give this person that, give that. Giving people little – it's a very good trick what they've done. They've done to a, a lot of – you know, like like the American Indian, for example. What Did they do any of them any favors to their people? No, they gave them a bare minimum – keeping up this level of poverty, what happens? Same thing, welfare and entitlement. You keep people, a whole group of people in that system, it doesn't work out well for them. You know, that's the worst thing. If you really hate somebody, that's what you should do to them. Give them, just give them and keep, that'll keep them at that level of level of poverty for generation after generation after generation. That's why it's cruel to me to do that to people. I don't understand how people think that's a good way. If you want to keep somebody, if you want to enslave an entire group, just give them a little bit. Just give them enough to get by. They've done it with several people, and they're going to keep doing it because you give them a little bit, they'll keep voting for you. Same principles would apply to parenting, I assume. In what way? If you have kids, you have what, four or five kids? Four. Four. If you're like, hey, here's a little bit of money. You can live here. If you work, great. If not, no big deal, but I'll take <laughs> care of your bills. I'll get you some food. Um I mean, you're going to really negatively impact that kid in the long run. Same principles. That would never happen in this household, man. So, yeah, um, not going to happen. My, my people know they have to work. You know, I'm not going to give them. I'm not going to give them anything. I mean, I will help them if they need it. But if they're working hard, if they're working hard, doing everything they can, and something happens, absolutely. If you're not working hard, man, then you're on your own. I'm not going to. I work hard. I'm not going to give you something I because you don't want to work. Never going to happen. You know, I mean, everybody knows they, they have to do what's expected of them. I'm not here to bail you out. 
for you being lazy. That's not going to happen. Now, if you, like I say, if you're working real hard and everything, and something happens, I definitely help you out. But that's never going to happen the other way. I love it. Yeah, I think there's a lot of similarities, Chris. I really appreciate your time today. Before we wrap things up, you have, of course, the bare knuckle fighting. You have um, the the lights out podcast. What else? What other types of plugs would you like to mention before we wrap the episode up? Yeah, Lights Out Podcast, real cool. We just interview mainly, you know, older UFC veterans or just veterans of uh, mixed martial arts, people that you would know of, and uh, kind of find out their backs, like how they get there, the path they took. Been really cool. So we get a lot of good, good fighters on there. Very interesting stories. I love the old school stories. I got that. Check that out. Um, Lights Out Podcast, and then I uh, Lights Out Bourbon. If I want that, you can. Get a order from if you're not in the state of Indiana, Kahn's Liquor, K A H N. Um, you can order it there, 100 percent or no, 100 proof, I should say. Um, so it's a strong bourbon, very good. That's my favorite. Um, and man, the bare knuckle. Or if you just want to follow me, um, Instagram, Chris Lights Out Lytle. Um, but man, the uh, bare knuckle stuff is very entertaining. If you're a fan of MMA, I think this is a uh, very, very fun, very fast-paced, something I think you guys would really enjoy. None of that, none of that, I mean, you're a mainly a jiu-jitsu guy, not a lot of grappling, but there's, like, inside grappling. You can grab the head, tie plum, punch them there. So there's a little bit of grappling aspect, but uh, people just stand and bang most of the time. It's a lot of fun. I love it. Chris Lytle, thank you very much for your time. I look forward to speaking with you again soon, Chris. Thank you. Sounds good, brother. Be good. I want to thank everyone for tuning in to The Kelly Patrick Show. Of course, we'll have another episode out soon. Thank you.